Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So it's our last podcast of 2022. Uh, where did the year go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, did it, how did it go by so quickly? Yeah. Uh, but uh, and what, what were you going to say? I said it always does. It does. Yes. Um, we have busy lives. Actually, you have a busy life. I really don't. But <laughs> uh, so uh, for the final podcast of 2022, we're going to take a look back at um, some of the more significant health stories from the past year. If we have time, uh, maybe a look ahead to what 2023 may hold. But, you know, who the who the heck knows? So um, we'll go with that uh, with number one, you know, covid continues to loosen its grip a bit on our lives, but also continues to kill a lot of people in the U.S. and around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago, like 250 people a day in the U.S. were dying from COVID. Yep. Um, and now it's, higher uh, now it's it's over 400 per day. Yep. Yep. So for the for the I think for the the actual statistics for the third year in a row, COVID will be the third leading cause of death in the U.S. behind heart disease and cancer. Um, But in its, you know, kind of per day now at the end of the year, because at the beginning of the year, I think it was killing, you know, close to 3000 people a day. So we've come down a lot. But but um, but still, it's it's obviously significant. So a couple of things. Number one. Or is is this uptick kind of another winter peak in COVID infection and, and hospitalizations and death? Yeah, I mean, we this is viral season, even pre-pandemic. Um, this is cold and flu season. So just the way viruses um, function as a whole, they are more active and more um, transmissible in the colder months because of, you know, people being in closer proximity to each other, people being indoors um, and people being closer, you know, together. So we saw over the pandemic when, when we were really in like the lockdown and people were actually like scared of getting sick, we didn't see much flu. Um, But now obviously we're seeing um, other viruses back to their like normal numbers or more, but I was not, I'm not surprised that we're seeing more COVID. We're going to see, in my opinion, COVID um, like this with flu season every year. Um, So it's going to be just one of the other viruses that we see um, come and go every year. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting into this, what they call an endemic phase of the, as opposed to pandemic. And, you know, I guess there are technical um, differences between the two, Although it, it, it is kind of a gray line when you pass from pandemic to, to endemic mm-hmm. type of scenario. Um, so so let's talk about vaccines. You know, um, they I think the, con- the consensus is they lessen severity, but not necessarily the spread. You can still get infected. Um, and yeah, that- the boosters. So. I will say still, no matter what, having two of the um, two of the original mRNA um, vaccines is what's giving most people the majority of their protection. Um, so if you've got those, then you've made it a lot of the way of getting your protection from from vaccines against um, COVID. And even then, 
it was also um, even even with the original strain vaccines, it was mostly about um, decreasing severity of illness, but it did a better job, obviously, of also preventing um, infection at all because it was for the earlier strains. Um, Now, the boosters, especially this most recent booster, um, is a bivalent booster. So it has original strain, but also the subvariants of what we're seeing with the Omicron, which has been what's been around for the past year. So it's a much more um, specific vaccine for what we're seeing now. Um, and it probably protects you somewhere around 40 to 60% of getting infected at all. Oh, really? Um, okay. So it's not bad. I mean, we yep. take that exact same, that's what the flu vaccine does most years is about yep. 50. Um, okay. And I would take that 50%, you know, chance of, um, of not getting sick at all, in addition to it being um, very effective at preventing severe illness, which is ultimately what we want to prevent is people dying from this. Well, in in terms of people dying from COVID, I read an article that said that the while the deaths have always been been concentrated in older people, it, it used to be like, I don't know, 60%, two thirds of the deaths were in people 65 and older. Yeah. And now it's like 90% right. are older, older people. So, uh, but that doesn't, that doesn't indicate that the vaccine isn't protective also in older people. Correct. It just means that, um, that, you know, with with all of the natural immunity with, you know, let's say um, whether it's the natural immunity from, you know, you've, you've gotten COVID and recovered from it. So you, so you've gotten some natural immunity or the the vaccines uh, that people under age 65 are really well protected against dying. Like it's that 10 percent that's falling into that under 65 class. Some of those may be immunocompromised people mm-hmm. or people in other, you know, who, who have other uh, comorbid conditions. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely still a killer, whether you're vaccinated or not in that older population, although vaccines still are helpful in that older population. So I don't want to kind of make that clear because there's it's like fewer and fewer people are getting vaccinated uh, mm-hmm. and i and i think it's because uh the fact that it's kind of like you know if you, you do the analogy with a smoker you're like saying oh i know joe he smokes and didn't get lung cancer so therefore it doesn't matter if you right. smoke or not. and that's just right. a, you know that's just mm-hmm. a silly silly um conclusion but people use that with something like covid partly because it's so such a politically charged issue speaking of it being a politically charged issue i just saw i think governor DeSantis in in florida (laughs) is asking the florida supreme court to convene a grand jury to investigate vaccines oh my like yeah the scary thing too is that's probably who's going to be the republican nominee for president I, I, well he's he's leading in the polls from what and I've that seen, is but, horrible because but, but don't count the trumpster out <laughs> oh yeah i know but i'm just like can we have a normal republican um nominee like ever because now they're just 
and the problem is so what people don't understand or they do understand i don't know they don't care is that these people are in it for votes and the extremes are where they're gathering you know yeah that's how that is how you get nominated it's not how you get elected in the general election but it's how you get nominated in your party uh, particularly in the, right, in the republican exactly. party it appears um, you know, it, and <laughs> all these people in government want to be doctors and like go to med school then and then you can speak intelligently on the issue but as the governor of florida please don't please don't spout this information that you think you have on vaccines and the science behind vaccines and all this stuff because it's doing such a disservice well, and, and population and it's so frustrating. I'm actually irritated. We're talking about it now because I try to just ignore it and wash right. my hands of it because it's so insulting. Well, how about how about this? He, he so he when I guess when questioned as to you know why he's doing, it, he's like, hey, look, with the in the opioid situation, you know, the state got three point five billion dollars to you know mm-hmm. from you know in settlements and whatever. So he's equating to some extent the covid vaccine you know situation to the opioid which is which is silly yeah yeah so one last thing i want to talk about on and this is as political kind of overtones as well is is what's happening in china in two ways so (laughs) one one is you know the the apparent loosening of this you know zero covid policy in china due to all these protests that have erupted and its impact on the economy you know when when you shut things down because yeah. you get a case of covid uh, you know as we saw in the u.s that's that that kind of plays havoc so well I mean, it, to them, they're literally like people in hazmat suits pulling old people out of their homes and shoving them in like containers that they call quarantine you know whatever so they're on a completely different end of the spectrum of um of quote unquote lockdown and there is zero COVID policy um, because they're just so extreme. Um, so good for good for China, the people of China. Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because there's, there's two things that work against China in this loosening situation. Uh, one is there's not that much natural immunity because they've had this really draconian, you know, mm-hmm. lockdown scenario. So not as many people in China have actually gotten COVID. And number two, they still, I think, employ their less effective Chinese manufactured vaccine versus mm-hmm. the NRA ones. Um, so as they loosen, it's going to be interesting to see if they really get a wave of infections, hospitalizations, deaths, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The other Chinese situation, and this is interesting, and this is, you know, definitely shows you the, you know, that the pol- the political influence swings both ways is, um, you know, the question, the still lingering question of did this virus emerge from a lab leak or did it emerge kind of naturally, so to speak, from an animal um, transmission in the wild, so to speak, not not, you know, uh, lab. And so this was very politically charged issue, you know, in the spring, summer of 2020 as as, you know, COVID first hit. And and basically it was, you know, Trump and and some Republicans uh, claiming it 
it, it either was or could have been uh, a, a, a a Chinese manufactured virus, um, partly because of the fact that there's a big clinic in Wuhan um, that researches such viruses and this one in particular and the market is like right across the street more or less from one of the offices i'm not if it, it, it you know one of the labs uh, so coincidental but but also where they sell animals for exactly consumption but, and exactly but but so so the reaction was on the left the reaction was oh if you go down that road you're xenophobic and right. you're right. just trying to pin the blame so that we can, you know, for whatever political purpose. So, uh, but after several years, um, I think the, now the consensus is a lab leak is possible. It's not, right. no one's saying that's what happened, but it's possible mm -hmm. um, because a, unlike previous situations where um, a virus jumps from an animal to a uh, human, they have not found the virus in, they haven't found that animal that the virus, you know, originated in. Yeah. Um, originally they said, oh, we've got a 99% match on a pangolin um, that, that we found. Um, yeah. and, but that, I'm not sure that, uh, it, it, that, well, it, it turns out it was only a 90% match, which is not that much of a match when you're talking DNA, like we're, we're a 97% match to chimpanzees, but we're a lot different than, than chimpanzees. So yeah. at any rate, the um, big picture, the big picture with this is um, the average person has no idea what goes into um, figuring something like this out. Right. So it's like they take some like news headline or some little piece of information that got published and use and, and say like, well, here's all the, you know, evidence that you need. This takes so much time and it takes so much analysis and stuff that's above, you know, my education level. And it's in, in general, you will rarely hear a scientist speak in, um, absolutes nevers and always yeah. and there absolutely is a possibility it we're just not there yet with the answer so they're still working on it um i think the general consensus right now um with people who have who are really studying this is it probably is not um a lab-made virus but it's possibly a lab-made virus i think that's kind of where it is and they're still trying to figure it out um and it's everything else that you read right now and probably for the next year about it is literally just going to be one sided one one sides scare tactic you know unless they find either that initial you know animal and right. and whatever or um you know some other smoking gun that mm -hmm. clearly points to the to the lab yeah in right. general it's like try to explain to people like if you're reading something that is so that and someone is so 100 percent sure about something and this is absolutely blank because of blank you need to have a really healthy level of skepticism on that whoever that journalist or author is yeah yeah okay let's pivot away from from covid and and go to something you you mentioned uh, a related subject but something you mentioned uh, earlier and that is that uh, flu uh, and this respiratory viruses are making a big comeback um, as we have generally taken off the masks and avoided, you know, uh, presumably not washing hands as much and all that sort of right. thing. So 
So what are you seeing in your practice? And, and actually you, you've just gone through a, a bit of a bout of uh, influenza in your, in your household. So tell yeah. us about it. So I've never in the last month, probably, I would say maybe three weeks, um, have never gotten so many messages from patients, friends, family, or otherwise who um, are sick with viral symptoms and illness um, ever. Honestly, it's like just it's been like nonstop. Um, and that kind of reflects the general country right now um, because there are super high levels of RSV. Unfortunately, we're getting, we got a big wave of RSV, which, which is respiratory syncytial virus, which is something that kids get every year. Um, and it's usually mild in most kids, but it can be very severe. It sends kids to the hospital every year. It can cause significant breathing issues and it kills otherwise healthy kids every year. Um, but usually it's mild. And this year it's just, a, it's more, a little bit more severe, you know, than the average RSV mm -hmm. season. and it's more it's it's just blown up in um, infection rates and that same thing is happening with influenza essentially the same exact thing so our wave our peak of influenza is usually like January February um, and it's happening and we're seeing numbers that we've like almost never seen before this, At this time of the year yeah yeah. So it's crazy to see the peak and, um, you know, people are also getting really sick from influenza. It's a, it's just a, one of those uh, flu seasons that we would call a really yucky flu season. I remember 2017 was a really um, yucky, 2017, 2018 was a really bad flu season. That influenza A strain was, um, was more severe than. Yeah, I remember. So yeah, we're kind having that same thing happening right now, but much earlier. So the question is like, are we just going to have this big um, peak that's going to linger through the rest of the winter? Because again, we're inside, we're around people more, people are gathering more. I think we were still a little cautious last year because Omicron was new. And oh, just, definitely. You know, like uh, I said, there, the, there, there were 3000 people a day or so dying in January, yeah. February last year. So we were still masking up in, in a lot of places. We weren't locking down necessarily, generally right. but we yeah were... they're not uncommon i don't think masks had come off of airplanes yet no um, definitely not they so and kids were still staying home from school if they're sick now it's like you know back to normal kind of thing kids go to school with viral symptoms and um kid, people go to work you know when they probably should be staying home and it's just everybody's getting sick and we've gone all this time with these kids not being exposed to these viruses and not having great you know natural immunity um, yeah. and not being as you know quote unquote boosted from all these different viruses because there's also tons of other viruses besides these ones that i just said there's the common cold virus there's metanumovirus these are all regular viruses that crop up during cold and flu season and then we also have covid um so it's like if you're not sick right now um I'm more surprised. <laughs> well, and you just went through it in your house, but, and, and it's interesting because you, you, you and your kids have been vaccinated. Yes. We got and... the flu shot and fortunately we got it at a, at a good time. Cause I usually tell people, you know, wait till October or even November because you know, our peak is usually later, but this year it was, it's been hitting earlier. Um, so the kids got it and we got it and, you know, so last week, Sophia had a mild fever, really not much of a cough, um, just some congestion, 
um, and like mild fever. And then that kind of lingered over the weekend. And then Teddy started to kind of not quite feel like himself, not eating as much. Um, and then his fever started Sunday and Sunday night, um, his fever was pretty high. It was like 104. Um, so he was getting Motrin, um, and he started, um, hallucinating actually, which was, but he wasn't, he didn't have much of a cough. Um, it was really just the fever. I felt his body. He was, he was so hot. Um, and I was laying in his bed with him and it was middle of the night and he's just talking about the dinosaur on his window and he's (laughs) wide awake. He's like wide awake eyes huge. He wouldn't close them. Um, he wasn't scared. He was just seeing things. And I was like, can you point to where you see that? Cause I'm like wondering if he just sees something, a shadow and he like points to where the window is not in his room. Um, and he talked about a spaceship. There was a spaceship in there too, that was moving around the room. Oh um, my God. And I'm like, dude, you're freaking me out. Um, <laughs> but I know this can happen. And it's so interesting because I just saw an article today, um, on a, um, uh, a pediatric emergency room doctor in British Columbia talking about kids hallucinating with influenza A this year. <laughs> yeah, you're, so you're proof positive. It's uh, a yucky strain, um, but my kids are totally fine now. And it's a it's a severe strain, but I and I haven't gotten sick and Brandon hasn't gotten sick. Not so, so the fact that, they, that that Sophia was mild, Teddy was was more severe, but got over it quickly and you guys both didn't get it. Um, probably in some part you think is might be due to the the vaccine. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. And the vaccines are not um, they're they change their effectiveness every year, right? So they have to guess at the strains and they have to make the vaccine long before flu season comes out. So it's an educated guess every year. And sometimes we hit hit the mark and sometimes we don't. Um, and I think that it's just a um, maybe a little bit more effective this year. So yeah. you know, personally, I, I may I think I'm going to go back to wearing masks for a while. Um, I know. And doing a lot of hand washing. Um, and Just because what, it's, I don't care what the virus is that you have. It's not fun. No, I don't. You know? I, like, and I'm a, I'm a wimp. I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so I know. anyway, okay. Enough of that stuff. Um, on a, on a more positive note, maybe uh, weight loss medications really um, came to the forefront this year, hit the news cycles and whatever. And, and actually it's, you know, they're now that the news about them is uh, they're in, they're in short supply everywhere. Um, but uh, you know, for, for obviously this is a perennial challenge, you know, um, how to uh, control weight gain in this uh, environment where we have an almost limitless uh, source of calories and we're not as active as obviously our, our forefathers were. Yeah. Um, and, you know, drug after drug has, has, you know, kind of come out trying to, or uh, they've been trying to develop these drugs for, for years and years, but finally it looks like some effective drugs have, have been um, manufactured. Um, they, they weren't necessarily um, initially targeted at weight loss, more so diabetes, but they found them to be very effective for weight loss. So I think the brand names are Wegovi and Ozempic. Um, so yeah, Ozempic has been, so these have been around for a while. Um, but this is also a kind of frustrating um, topic for a few different reasons, but they've been around the GLP ones. Um, they're glu- glucagon-like peptide um, medications, and they've been around for a long time. Ozempic, um, is the brand name for like one of the early, earlier ones, but not the first one. Um, 
and it was wildly effective and super safe for diabetics to, and decrease their A1Cs. And we happened to see endocrinologists and primary care docs happen to see a lot of great weight loss with them as well. That's where it all came from. Um, so it works by um, kind of signaling the mind and body to feel full and prompting stomachs to empty a little bit slower. So you feel fuller longer. It can also cause some nausea, which by itself will decrease people's drive to eat. That's true. Um, and um, does a really great job of helping to lower people's A1C. So these became medications that any type two diabetic um, should, should have been on and, and should be on um, kind of across the board. Um, they took the place of a lot of other initial diabetes oral medications that were just not as effective and had way more side effects. So really common. And then all of a sudden there's like this boom because Wegovy is the same medication as Ozempic. It's just semaglutide at a higher dose. It's the same medication, um, but it's a little bit of a higher dose because they did a study with it and it showed significant weight loss for those with ob obesity. So great. That's fantastic. You are correct. We need weight loss medications um, for obesity. I'm shocked that we don't have better ones yet. Um, I think we will have more and more with time, but what's out there right now is not good and too dangerous, most of them to take. Um, so then you've got Wagovi, right? So everyone like starts getting super excited about it, but it's super expensive. Almost no insurance companies cover weight loss medications. When mm -hmm. I hear of one that covers it, I'm shocked. Um, so the problem with that is these are new medications. They're quite expensive. They're injections. You do one injection a week. Um, and these are medications you need to be on probably, you know, potentially lifelong, right? Um, or at least for a long chunk of time as you, as you drop weight yeah. and... Um, alter your eating habits and that sort of thing. So they are not affordable um, for 99% of the population out of pocket. Um, yeah, I think it's $1,300. Last I saw, and this could have gone up, $1,300 for a 28, for one month, well, less yeah. than one, 28 day supply of Wagovi. Right. So, and, and you can't just, it's not just a month long medication. It's a years long medication. So um, the, then there's also another one, terzepatide, which is even better than semaglutide, um, and that's the Manjaro, which is used also for diabetes, but can also be used for weight loss, and it shows even better data with weight loss and maybe even a little bit less nausea, which is usually mm -hmm. the limiting um, side mm -hmm. effect that some people just can't tolerate to take it. But there are shortages for obvious reasons. More people are trying to prescribe it, but it's also being sold at med spas across the country, but especially in high, you know, affluent areas mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. people who are not obese are paying out of pocket for it um, to have as a weight loss. Want, want to take off that last 10 pounds mm -hmm. and get really, really cut. <laughs> yeah, because if you make millions of dollars, like who cares? You'll pay whatever for these right. medications. Right. And there's like all these different like stories about celebrities taking it and um, and to the point where I have multiple patients on these medications for diabetes and we have to call around to pharmacies to see if they have it in stock. Oh. So it's frustrating. The whole thing's frustrating because one, they should be cheaper. Two, they should be more accessible, right, to people who actually have obesity. They should not be sold at cash pricing for those in um, at med spas. Um, and they should not be going out of stock for people who need them for their diabetes. 
so <laughs> I, I agree 100, 100%. Um, but I, I'm chuckling because I'm going to bring up another frustrating topic, I'm, I'm sure, for, for <laughs> you. And, and that is our, our fourth big news story of 2022, big health news story of 2022, uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, and so we don't need to get in all the <laughs> political detail and this and that. I'm just curious around this piece. Um, so Nebraska is one of the states where it's not banned. So there are 13 states that have a, like a full ban um, and then some other states that have a ban at 15, 18 or 20 weeks. Nebraska is in this category where it's legal, but limited in, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, obviously you're you're not an abortion doctor, you're you're a primary care doc. But um, what does this kind of what, what's been the impact on your practice if at, at all? I mean, if you yeah. had to recommend like if one of your patients came to you and said, hey, you know, I'm pregnant, I want to get an abortion. What, what do you recommend? Yeah. You have places you have places to send them, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Planned Parenthood, um, and it is legal, you know, bias before a certain date in Nebraska. And then there's also online um, places that are reputable, very reputable, that have kind of blown up since this whole overturning of Roe versus Wade um, that are great, but they're, they can mail the, the pills, the abortion um, pills that you take, um, but they can only be mailed to certain states, right? So they're accessible to people world or uh, all over the country, but you may have to have a forwarding address, um, which there's ways to, to go about it. Um, but in general, in Nebraska, it's not, um, it's in kind of like the same time frame that it was in the past. Nothing's changed. Right, it's 20, uh, 22 weeks in Nebraska, but in like your neighboring state of South Dakota, it's banned a hundred percent with no exceptions for yeah. rape or incest. It's so. disgusting. So like, that's just a trash bag um, move to make. And it's, it's so frustrating because these decisions are being made by, for the most part, some really dumb women, but mostly um, either uneducated or completely ignorant older men. Um, and you've seen the news headlines where these people who are anti-abortion and who are pro getting rid of it completely have also helped their, you know, mistresses pay for abortions, you know, years yeah. before. It's just like, it's all, it, it takes away all medical um, fact and medical advice from the people who have dedicated their lives to um, taking care of women. Um, and it's putting decisions in the hands of people who just have no clue. Like you, I remember I seen something where they asked all of these, these people who were pro and people in government who were pro overturning Roe v. Wade about just very simple facts about women's bodies and pregnancy and their answers were so um like i it, it was i was speechless because these people just didn't know the basics right yet they're the ones who are deciding what kind of medical care women get when they're pregnant and part of the problem with it is the terminology because in the medical world we use the term abortion for all kinds of different things. So if a 
if a patient has an ectopic pregnancy or a non-viable pregnancy and they have to end it for that medical reason, it shouldn't be called the same thing that it's called when someone just doesn't want to stay pregnant. Right. When it's so, a right. When it's a uh, I don't know, voluntary versus, you know, right. medically I remember necessary. Reading, I remember reading people's charts when I was in medical school and like taking care of different patients and seeing abortion in there and just being like, wow. And then realizing, wait, this person did not have an abortion. She lost a baby or didn't have a viable pregnancy. Right. But yeah. it's called yeah. the same thing. So it's well, like an, an ectopic pregnancy can kill the woman. Right. If it's right. not. Yes. Yeah. And even things outside of that, like non like there's patients who have babies and at their once they grow enough and they realize that there's not a brain in the baby does not have a brain. That baby doesn't isn't going to live. Right. So that then that person has an abortion. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. it's the same thing. But even outside of that, um, I'm obviously pro-choice um, on this. And people don't realize that the first two weeks of your pregnancy, you haven't even gotten pregnant yet. So when you find out you're pregnant because you've missed a period, which people have irregular periods all the time, you are six weeks pregnant, but you really actually are only four weeks pregnant. Since gestation. Because the first two weeks are are after your last period when you haven't gotten pregnant yet. Like that doesn't, it's just the way that the, the count. Oh, so when pregnant. they calculate 22 weeks, it's actually not 22 weeks from gestation. It's 22 weeks from your last period. We'll even That's call right. it fertilization, right? The egg fertilization. fertilization. Yeah. You've gone two weeks before that fertilization has even happened. Um, conception has not happened yet, it, but the counting goes from the first day of your last period. So yeah. you've lost two weeks of being able to make a decision about what you want to do. And then when you miss your period, um, that's assuming someone has a regular 28 day cycle, which the tons of people do not. Um, so it's just the whole thing is, is mind blowing and so frustrating because again, this is a decision that should be made between the patient and the person who dedicated their lives to learning and understanding and treating this stuff, right? Not these men in government. <laughs> so we're going to finish up here uh, because we are on a, a time constraint uh, due to your schedule, not mine, uh, with, with something that presumably is the subject which is less frustrating for <laughs> you or, or not frustrating at all. And that is um, the continuing rise of telehealth services in medicine uh, and the likelihood that they will continue to be uh, more and more utilized. So, uh, and this, this goes not just for, you know, uh, for primary care, obviously, but now increasingly for services like mental health and even, um, you know, uh, specialty, let's say musculoskeletal treatment or what have you. So, um, so, um, talk to me about your experience with, you know, like how much of your kind of clinical routine is, uh, via telehealth. And that would include, you know, not just like a FaceTime zoom, uh, session, but also, you know, text and emails and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think the rise of telehealth overall is a very good thing because there's a ton that we can do in medicine that doesn't require the person to like come into the office and be face to face with you. So, so many follow ups, like I know my grandparents um, who have um, lung cancer right now um, are able to do a ton of their follow up visits with their oncologist through just telehealth. Right. And so that's a perfect population to talk about how like getting them out of their house and into an, an office where there's, you know, potential spread of infection and all that stuff that 
is just not necessary. But that oncologist previously wasn't really able to like bill for their time um, in any other way, but an office visit. So they um, it's since expanded that and made that stuff more commonplace, which is great because, you know, life happens outside of, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five and having to drop everything to try to get to an appointment is not always the easiest thing. I say for my personal practice, probably 70% of what I do can be done virtually um, because there's, it's just as you practice, you kind of just know. And the way that I practice, I know my patients a lot closer, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have a panel of 2,500. So it just makes telehealth that much easier. I don't have to like refresh myself. Okay. Who is this? What's their history? What's going on? I know who they are. I know they're, I know what's going on. Um, and then when stuff does need to be done, like, Hey, I need to listen to your lungs or I need to see that spot on your skin. Um, you know, we do in, 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 in office visits, but yeah. I mean, I have people often say something to me and I'm like, can you send me a picture? Right. And they take a picture and they send it to me through the, our like secured app. And, um, it like makes everything so much more convenient for the patient, um, as they are either, you know, heading to work and scared about spot on their skin, or they've got kids at home, you know, that they don't want to get all bundled up and taken out of the house if they don't need to. Um, so, and I think people get better care overall when you can do it this way because i think what happens alternatively is like okay do i am i really that's it do i really have to ask this question do i really have time to like potentially sit in the waiting room for an hour um so i think it's good overall there's there's downsides you know stuff that's inappropriately done over telehealth there's these um these companies that are getting you know scrutinized and investigated um because they're like telehealth um um, kind of like, I wouldn't say there's, um, psychiatry, but they advertise as like essentially a telehealth way to get your like ADHD medications, controlled substances. Oh, right? gotcha. Yeah. And yep. they are being shut down because they're like run by advanced practitioners and they're just having these medications just like distributed left and right and without appropriate, you know, visits and workup and that sort of thing. So there's people who are trying to take advantage of, this um there's two examples there's um they're doing this in dermatology and that kind of makes sense like you can go on you can send pictures you can talk to somebody and then you can get your skin cream prescribed and that's awesome because mm -hmm. then you have to go in and do that whole process and that's kind of easy low risk but then there's i think one of the sites is cerebral um where you go on and you answer a couple of automated questions and the next thing you know you've got like Adderall coming to you and there's an Adderall shortage now and so yeah that, that the there was some legislation passed or, or regulations passed um, during the pandemic era that loosened up on the ability to prescribe medications via a telehealth visit rather than an in-person one. It might be on just controlled substances, but it might be broader than that. And those regulations, there's this controversy around those regulations ending and therefore the requirement that there be face-to-face -face visits and a lot of concern around, um, around that. You know, on, on both sides of the equation, it's it, it you know, when you, when you have those looser regs, they are more prone to abuse. But if you go back to the more restringent 
restrict uh, more yeah. restri- stringent regs do you open it up for abuse like you've just stated so yeah so interesting is to, to kind of thread that needle but yep. okay well those those are that's our review of the top five health stories of 2022 i'm looking forward to an interesting 2023 um you know i don't think it'll be anything but interesting right. so yep. looking forward to, to um, more chats with you next year all right sounds good thanks doctor you have a great day you too bye-bye Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com. That's spelled T H E D R A N D D A D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now, the legal disclaimer this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.